So welcome everyone, uh, wherever you are, many of it's your morning time, so or your midday time, wherever we are, time is just the construction. And uh, these online sessions make that point very clearly, you know, where are we? <laughs> where are we? <laughs> and one of the aims of, uh, you know, Dhamma practice is to really differentiate the constructed world of time and place into something much more um, uh, timeless and you know, a here that's not, not geographical and now that's not about a minute or an hour or a number on a clock. So and really what determines this is chitta, heart-mind, awareness, so wherever you are, you come into that, you establish, establish your mind, establish your mind, establish your heart, where you are, however it feels, and, you know, what you can see and what you can hear, just around you, <laughs> establish your heart-mind within the centre of that, so you're just that which is attentive, that which is aware, because this one will not leave you. <laughs> Everything else will move and change, come and go, break, you know, become something, become something else, but this one stays. So when we come into Dhamma, any teacher will encourage you, and as I do, to come into this true place and you know, meditation practice begins here and from there we start to really look at our how we are connected, uh, sometimes tethered, uh, anxious, um, eager, uh, planning the world, a circumstance that rolls around us like a tornado sometimes and I think for many, some of you, you're seeing that really the rawness of that tornado in the world you know and it is very saddening and agitating and of course you will have our personal turmoils as well health relatives friends situations that are not secure not stable uh, and then you one of us to go out and change it and help it so we'll know first of all find find yourself find your place where you can get your full resources, you know, when you can really gather your resources without gathering your resources and rushing out there, you're like a person, you know, running out, you know, defenseless with no 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 skills, and it's good intention, but it doesn't doesn't you get blown away by it or knocked around by it. So we take some moments, you know, maybe just five or ten minutes maximum, just to resonate some of this sense. You know, where am I? Where is presence? Where is awareness? Is there a where to it? Is there a centre of that? And just to help this, we, as the Buddha did, he said, your first place is your body. First establishment of sati mindfulness is body, because it gives you something pretty uh, 
accessible, it's not refined. Yeah. Mm. It's not that it's not far away. And you want to find something that's easy to get to get to, particularly when the mind itself is turbulent or dull or stressed. Mm. Within this very body-mind is the arising of the world and the ceasing of the world, this embodied condition. So we're finding a place where we can witness, we can be aware of all that. So taking up your meditation position so you're comfortable enough, alert, And using your awareness like something that can massage or sponge or soft quality. Soft quality, not a hard scrutiny. Just extending down to the ground. Whatever that means to you, it's your feet your chair, your cushion, that earth contact. Lingering there, picking up that sense of groundedness. that happens for you, tingling, pulsing, and yet it's not exactly, it's changeable, the, the fluctuations, the pulses in it are changeable, like you've got your finger on the pulse of something, pulse changes but the finger stays steady. without losing access to that point can you widen your awareness, extend it around you feeling where you get a sense of the physicality of the body ends and you can sense space around you Space that is unoccupied. Open. Safe. same soft 
awareness like water or imagine water flowing through a sponge it's coming up your body feeling the contours the textures and relax into it let it infiltrate it's like warm water saturating seeping through a sponge tissues hard tissues soft tissues pulses Taking your time. Mm. Letting your body open into that. Particularly areas that might be somewhat closed. In your chest, your face, your head. if you can really relax the edges of your body because the space around you is safe comfortable your awareness is not critical but just something quite um, smooth and tender Mm. seeping through the form, material form. Filling out the width lateral sense cross in the vertical sense things the body opens out you may breathing may come into your range which is this rhythm this rhythmic process something breathing you something breathing you you don't have to do it it's just there it's comforting rhythm
Then you, from there you can just open, you're feeling the body open in the hearing base and let these um, rest of the talk listen to it as you will. Some of it you may have heard already, some of it may not connect to, but there may be pieces in this that strike a chord. Because this using the body like this also encourages the your heart mind, your awareness also to be open, light, receptive, and rather like the well-tuned string of a guitar, the sounds, the ideas strike it, there's a resonance, and some of them don't. But uh, what we're saying really is um, a reminder of things you will hear many times, I hope, and will, will cause you to understand, gain your own wisdom. So, in this, whenever you look in the certainly early Buddhist teachings, first base is the body, mindfulness of body, the Buddha himself finds a place, sits under a tree, holds his body erect, gets into a calm space, feels himself breathing, is this the way to enlightenment, feels the subtle pleasure of that soft but grounded state is this the way starts investigating yes this is the way it's light it's 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 sign it's it's invitation this this is comfortable this is light this is accessible you can trust this this is not an idea you know this is something you have to strain for it's not remote so you enter into it in that place of yes it's comfortable it's accessible it's light i can get you know it's obvious in a way most of the time we overlook it and this is the one of the hallmarks of why the Dhamma is so powerful because you know, it's not that difficult it's just most of the time we're overlooking it <laughs> and we're not necessarily even a conscious decision it's, a, it's almost ingrained and, and inducted to and what is ingrained and inducted we experience things through uh, filters and through conventional structures. As we were saying earlier, you know, time, central structure of time, hours, minutes, which we all know have no existence at all in themselves, but they are they dominate our day. Um, we're late. We worry. Things are going too slowly. We get restless. You know. Six o'clock in the evening, it's time for a meal. But to get to work, commute. Suddenly, you know, half a million people charging down the same street, same streets to the city, stressing out, getting late, and feeling angry about it. Because it's all geared to the production system, isn't it? The work system, which is, you know, really making people into much more automatic and less less related to their own organic embodied presence. Now, this is an obvious structure. And if you look at if you consider you know the everyday reality, it's 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 hugely constructed and conditioned. Nationality, 
um, job, um, then you get political views, um, you name it. It's, it's, uh, and we see also how these things cause division. You know, if you're living in America now, you can just probably jaw-dropping at the different realities that are jostling along inside each other and, and shaking fists at each other. And that, you're not, it's not the only country that's doing it. You know, you think, but how can we live in the same place and have such different realities? Because the realities we experience are constructed. Belief, perception, meaning, inclination, what's right, what's wrong, interpretations. Um, and this is this constructed reality that uh, people live within and try to make steady and certain and real and, and supreme the best one you know. and the conflict caused by that and this is this isn't just a modern phenomenon though we can see it ramped up in this day and age by this turbocharged power of our of our societies and systems but it's always been this way yeah. And uh, this is what the, the Buddha pointed this constructed reality, the sankata, the constructed condition of realities as well. Yeah. It's, it's first of all, the condition of consciousness it means you're conditioned seeing, hearing, touching, tasting. And, uh, you know, and then we seek through that. And naturally, what I can see with my eyes is coming from. It's different what you can see with your eyes, so there's always differences there, aren't there? Just on that level alone, you know, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting sets us apart, and we kind of find that oh, that's reality because I can see it and hear it, touch it, taste it. What we recognize about all that is it's so fleeting, you can't get it, and yet it impinges, it impacts you, it frightens you, it excites you, it annoys you, it gets you busy. Yeah. And yet, you can't you can't settle in it. You can't find a place to settle down in it. Relax. It's always demanding something, and it's always impinging. And yet, it never you never really get. Yeah. Yeah. This is consciousness, conditioned consciousness. And what is it condition? It conditions the sense of form. Objects exist in space, and separate objects existing in space. And therefore, we're alone in some ways, and yet we're not. We like sometimes when we like to be alone, we're impacted by other forms. Yeah. And then we, when we don't want to be alone, we can't get them. We can't exactly merge, and yet we can't exactly separate either. In this strange world, tethered to sights and sounds, and that we can't, can't ever unite with. Yeah. And this process encourages that both the, the gr reaching out to get hold of and then pushing away what we dislike. So you're starting to set up a sense of conflict feeling. Mm -hmm. It's charge of feeling, pleasure and pain rush through us and how fleeting they are. Yeah. Perceptions, meanings and impressions, extremely uh, powerful. That's friendly, that's hostile. That's, you know, and all the range, offensive, you know, uh, intimidating, uh, disgusting, looking down on each other. 
You know, this counts, it doesn't count. You know, some bug, life doesn't matter. Some little bug, squash it. So what? It's only a bug. Well, to the bug, it was pretty important. <laughs> That's the only thing it had. <laughs> but to you, it's just a bug, you know. And then so on up the line, it's just a bug, it's just a dog, it's just a pig, it's just a cow. And then when is it just another human being? Just a, somebody you can dismiss as a criminal or a terrorist or a foreigner or no account or a bum, useless, you know, and then, you know, so on and so on and so on. Meanings, perceptions, and things are filtered through that. We rely upon them. How true are they? How true are they? And they're all biased. And, but based upon that very, and you get inducted into particular perceptions, you know, social behavior, customs, races, ethnicities, um, and so on, nationalities, you get inducted into them. You're in the best one, your one counts. Yeah. And then all the volitions, the impulses that arise from that, you know, impulses, intentions, and inclinations that motivate us, push us out into actions based upon perceptions that themselves are unreliable. Perceptions that are unreliable based upon the sense of being a separate human being, separate from everyone else. What a foundation that is. Yeah. So sometimes it's desperate, manipulative, aggressive, comparative, critical, self-critical, I'm not as good as she is, critical of others, he's so stupid, you know, da 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 da, da. this kind of thing going on. This is the, the, the conditioned realities that people get, put their energies into, trying to find a place where it's comfortable and steady. And then they, they themselves are not comfortable and steady. Mm. And all that overlooking something. And we might notice that uh, yeah, the times when we experience a quality of love, loving kindness, or generosity, or compassion, yeah, this is one of the breakthroughs, isn't it? Whenever we experience that sense of compassion for another, kindness for another, suddenly the name doesn't matter. The nationality doesn't matter. Rich or poor, fat, black, white, green, doesn't matter. You know, whether it's an animal or a human being, doesn't matter. Suddenly you feel like the feel the power of something like compassion. And all this constructed stuff doesn't matter anymore. You, you really get the sense your mind can reach beyond that. And, come beyond. and when it does, you feel grand, you feel, enha you feel enhanced, you feel rich you feel warm you know uh, so this is one of the gifts isn't it to be able to experience true compassion and, and live in that stream and let that one flow and of course this is the this is the standard abiding of awakened ones to live in the field of in the, the current of metta karuna so why don't why don't we do that <laughs> because of all this other stuff you know because we get feel inadequate because we feel, you know, he doesn't count or he doesn't deserve it, you know, or he's a nasty person or she's not interested anyway or, I'm, I'm, you know, this kind of thing goes on. And that, you know. So we're still working through these so the constructed realities. 
And the Buddha is saying there's a place where you, you can withdraw from that. Withdrawal is a word that may not sound good to you, as if we evade. No, no, we're just withdrawing from the constructed to come to the direct. We're not withdrawing from existence or reality, we're just withdrawing from the constructed reality to something more direct. Whereby all those constructions are no longer taking over. Yeah. The constructed realities with their, their prejudices and biases and angles and are not dominating us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, then there's a possibility that qualities of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, wisdom could flow without having to go through this isolated self-form. This is possible. Yeah. So when the Buddha talked about you know, Nibbana and cessation, he meant the cessation of the constructed, not the cessation of, of awareness. <laughs> Or the cessation of of anything of a true of truth, yeah. It's the unbinding of the constructed, and using the body to do just that. Uh, and as we come into meditation, then this is this is an indication of where this is found. As the Buddha said, whoever doesn't access the mindfulness of the body does not realize the deathless. The deathless is lost on those who have no mindfulness of the body. Do not neglect mindfulness of the body. It's the path, it's the way to the deathless. He says this time and time again. Why is this? And what is this? So we often, we refer to the constructed body. You look around, you see his ears and eyes and nose and that and your gender description and you can just get snagged in that and of course much of the conditioning of our society is to do exactly that you know look at the outside look at the skin surfaces height girth features nose ears shape stuff like that the buddha said this is all pretty worthless really you know that's a message of sense consciousness and you put all your everything you got into that how, what's that good? Is that going to do you? But of course, it's extremely profitable to get people to be obsessed with the appearance of their bodies. <laughs> Fashion beautification and and so forth. <laughs> so the Buddha say, look, you know, it, it's something that changes. You know, it tends to wrinkle and fade. It gets you can't do much that much about it. But there is a body that you can have access to. And it's within this, not this visual body, not this conceptual body, but the direct experience you have of being embodied. What do you mean? Being embodied. It's not a knee, it's not an ear, it's that somatic presence which you can access sitting, walking, standing. It's a knowingness, it's an intelligence that's vibrant, sensitive, alert. And it doesn't lie. It may feel shocked, it may feel wounded, it may feel unsteady, but it can be healed, it can be steadied. So this is the process of meditation, is to first of all get this inner body, somatic presence, established, steady, 
Because without this, what are you going to rely upon for your guidance? What will you be reading? Encouragements to read your body. Read what your somatic intelligence is telling you. I feel nervous. I feel frightened. I feel happy. I feel unbalanced. Yeah? I feel very steady. When you feel steady, you know it. And you can, yeah. And it's a steadiness that's not held. It's a steadiness that's light. It stands by itself. You accomplish that, you've got something there that acts like a, a fine detector. Because this body, is this inner body, the somatic presence, is completely geared to the movements of the mind. It registers movements of emotion. It experiences them, you can feel it run through you. Now you just, you know, look at it, more broadly, what do you think you have a mind for? <laughs> so there we were, maybe two million years ago, hanging out in the trees and eating bananas or whatever we were doing, swinging around. And then some somebody got the idea to get down on the ground, I guess, and run around. It was a brave idea, but you're putting yourself very vulnerable. Once you get down out of the trees, Big cats can chase you, can eat you, yeah. and you haven't got much defense. You can't run that fast, you don't have claws, you don't have teeth, that big teeth. So what do you have? You've got something to detect very quickly what's going on. This is called mind. <laughs> yeah. So when we meditate, we should meditate like that, like we just came down out of a tree and we're standing and what's going on? And you sense the atmospheres around you, and it's not focusing on the eyes, or the ears, or the nose, or the tongue, but it sits behind all of them, listening, listening through the body, it's sitting behind the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and even the thought, sitting behind that, uh-huh, 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 just open to it all, and feeling what they're doing, Getting some particular, you know, something's coming in from the, the ear consciousness. That could be a, you know, a leopard. Mm. Something's coming the nose consciousness. That could be a big cat. Something's coming in through the different channels. It's just alert and aware. This is your basis of mindfulness. It's not a shutting the mind down into a particular tight position. It's opening up in the body. So the body acts like a gigantic sense organ um, and what is then the mind's primary duty the reason to have one is to defend this body <laughs> that's why they're so geared yeah that's what that's what it's for it's to make sure that we can know when there's fear uh, and something to frighten be frightened or we're extremely sensitive on that level if you're out in a in the forest or in a, um, in a wild place, it's not a time to be daydreaming, not a time to be wondering about dinner, not a time to be carrying grudges of what somebody said to you three years ago. You better wake up, drop all that. And this is the way we should meditate, just like we're walking through uh, a forest, a wild place, completely alert, and then all the what he did, what she did, and da, 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 that all has to drop away. And this is the way you use the body to clear 
these encumbrances that otherwise we carry around with us. And so this is just fundamental sanity, you might say. And it's about to do this in a day when there's so much and making that a priority to not be overwhelmed with the media, you know, to find somewhere where you can, sometime place where you can deliberately do that, and then you start to walk it, keep it, try to get that reference and walk it, and notice what's happening when you when you're losing balance or when you're feeling steady, and you can the body will tell you, it will tell you what your mind's doing, uh, not what you're not what you're thinking, but the effect of it. And it's becoming agitated, uh, pushy, uh, desperate, or loving. It will tell you, because you'll feel the effect of it in the body. You'll feel it tightening around your throat, or clamouring in your head, or opening, you feel the body opening when you feel warm-hearted. You've got a very good reference point just for basic sanity in, in life. This is the first advantage of mindfulness of body. Second advantage, which uh, becomes more apparent when you uh, um, develop meditation, is this experience can be extremely radiant. Uh, it can permeate your body, so the when the body, the somatic presence is properly listened to and attended to and lingered upon, it begins to glow. This process, meditation, two principles, one is just to touch what you're doing, touch your meditation object, refer, place your mind, place your attention on the body, on that experience lightly, gently, repeatedly, and listen. Very simple. Touch and listen. Touch, listen. Or you could say tap and open. Two processes. Vitaka vichara. Tap it, open. How is that? So the, the tapping keeps you coming back on theme. This is what's called sati, mindfulness. And you open up and receive it. This process is repeatedly practiced around mindfulness of body. Um, means that the energies that are there in the body begin to find that open space where they, they unfold, they open up. The space is there. Mm. and uh, the mind is now listening, it's not oppressing. So the mental effect is inviting, open, and the energies begin to stream and gradually warm. So you, you can experience a, a quality of happiness, inner happiness, uh, of two kinds. first kind is that the shape of your mind becomes uh, bright and expanded, and there's a refreshing, uplifted sense. Second experience is the texture of your mind becomes subtle, quiet, sukha, easeful. And when that becomes apparent, then your consciousness does not go outside. It doesn't want to go outside. It stays in that. So then your reality, what you're aware of, your sense consciousness turns towards that and you think, hey, what's this? 
And you begin to see much more directly the ever-flowing, pulsating, fluctuating and sensitive nature of true experience, direct experience. It's ephemeral, it's radiant, it's luminous. If you grasp it, it it disappears, it contracts. And there's this possibility. This is the second great advantage of mindfulness of body. And because you, while you're alive, you have this body, and you move it around, it's with you wherever you go, <laughs> the more, you know, then you, the body itself begins to heal. Now, what I mean by this is that because of the relationship between jitta, the heart, mind, and the body, then everything we've thought, Everything we've said, everything we've been moved by, has a bodily effect. This is called karma. It doesn't just mean, you know, chopping things up with axes. It means every skillful or unskillful thought has an effect. Um, The nature of um, our activations, our sankharas, our impulses and intentions is not abstract. The nature of our intentions may have an abstract name to it. I'm going to New Jersey. So what? It's just a sound. That's abstract, isn't it? Direct experience could be eager. It could be um, furtive. I'm getting out of here. It could be a number of things. So direct experience, but there will be every intention has some kind of direct effect. Now, going to New Jersey is a pretty neutral one. Think of someone you dislike. What intention comes up with that? You want to get rid of him. You wish he dropped dead. You don't like him. He's his fault. So they're not even there. You just think of them. And all this stuff comes running up. What they did to you three years ago. What they said to you. How they let you down. He's not there. He might even be dead by now. But it's, it's still happening. This stuff is going on. Well, it's abstract in some sense because there's nobody there. And it's also very direct in all the poisons of aversion, or regret, jealousy, rancor are now saturating your heart. And there's a bodily effect on that. It begins to affect your body. Your somatic system becomes poisoned. I'm using the word strongly. But it's, it's amazing how much damage people are willing to do to themselves through not knowing the effects of it. Now, in the Buddha's realizations, first realization, there's such a thing as good and evil. You think, wow, so what? That's not a great realization. No, not as abstract, it's not, but as direct. Good has a particular energy to it that blesses, warms, brightens, and you can feel it. Loving kindness, generosity, compassion, feel the effects of those. Cruelty, ill will, regret, self-criticism, hatred has a particular energy to it that's felt in the body. This is not a blame judgment thing, it's just nature. 
You may have very good reasons to feel annoyed and irritating. It's not, but still, whether, you, whether you've got reason for it or not, if you drink the poison, whatever the reason is, you get the poison. The poison affects you. This is called karma. And that's his second great realization. He says, because of this, people become this or that and the other. Because of this, having, you know, developed these qualities, they go into a miserable existence or a bright existence. Uh, and it doesn't take long to recognize that. And these aren't necessarily, you know, don't have to be that delayed in time. Because uh, you can, if you practice mindfulness of body, you can feel when you get angry what it does to your body. You can feel it to hardening, sharpening. You know, tightening, going up in your head, eyes getting sharp and hard, heat, you're cruel, it's numb, numbed out, you can feel the effects in your body, and that's a pretty gross, coarse experience. Distractedness, where your, mind, your body, you're so scrambled that you don't have any legs or feet anymore, you're just sort of a scrambling whirl, still calmer, effects, and because of, you know, having unwittingly bought into these things there's a certain amount of long-term somatic damage or contamination occurred whereby bits of your body are closed you don't feel comfortable so it's not just that particular mental patterns have been established certain bodily patterns have been established and the nature is bodily patterns, particularly <laughs> when, they're, when, when they are long term, is we lose the capacity to feel joyful and free and light and open. Trust, relaxed. And in our day and age, this isn't necessarily through doing really nasty stuff, it's just through being in the driven world whereby day after day you drive yourself to get to this, to do that, to become this, to get perfect at that, performance, driven, 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 driven. And what happens as a result of the driven lifestyle, which is evident in, in, this, in our societies, these economic driven societies, people crack up, people get neurotic. People get addicted, people get obsessive, people have anxiety, obsessive compulsion disorder, anxieties, depression. What's happening? Yeah. The system is poisoned. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Can't sit still. Can't meditate. Ah, meditation, forget it. You know, no, no, no. Can't sit still. Can't focus. Feel closed down. And say, well, just feel your breathing. Can't feel my breathing. It's too, everything's so tight. Relax. What's that mean? You know, the system is just closed up through the pressure of, of this model. And as we see, you know, how come? You know, okay, physical health by and large has improved over 200,000 years. Psychological health decreased biggest killer, big, biggest life impairer in the planet is depression, anxiety. Yeah. Every day there's a new one, new form of psychological disorder. Yeah. 
that these are not just ideas, it's a direct reality, and the body is telling us, hey, it, this is killing me. <laughs> so the nature is karma, isn't does it's not necessarily a decision. Some of it's just motivated just through following the wrong herd, following the wrong message. As I said, do not follow the foolish, follow the wise. This is a blessing. Because otherwise we're going to get all this closing us down. We lose touch with our beauty and our capacity to feel joy, ease, love, trust, relaxation. So cleaning the body. If the if this somatic presence is not clean, how can everything you try to do is for good? Is actually based on the wrong foundation. You're trying to be because you want, you think you should be, or you're trying to be good, but actually the foundation isn't isn't established yet. So we're just putting things on top, like a like a cosmetic. And so one of the you know, long-term processes of meditation is to begin to find enough balance to go into some of this stuff and clean it, clean out. And it's not always so comfortable. It means a lot of patience, steadiness, resilience, loving-kindness. This is where you learn, where you learn your Dhamma in this. You learn the real thing in the real workplace. But having learned that, you get a lot of wisdom and a lot of compassion. And this is another great advantage of mindfulness of body. What it what it tells you, what it puts you through, how it causes you to begin to see you've got to change your life now. You know, and you've got to you can't no, you can no longer take a, an unskillful thought lightly. <laughs> yeah. You've got to look at some of those psychologies and messages and say, no, don't enough of that one. So this is a great wisdom teacher. And uh, <clears throat> further found, further value of mindfulness of body as we in this embodied condition, embodied place. You just see how ephemeral and changeable everything is. And this is nothing is nothing is solid. It's empty of self. Uh, there's no subject. You can, that relaxes. The controlling self relaxes. The grasping self relaxes. And the more that happens, there's a sense of lightness and ease and the unbinding of the bond of conditioned reality. You know, mind doesn't go there. Doesn't, you know, doesn't see it as its real home. But because of the beauty of the chitta, beauty of the mind, and its nature, its nature to be loving and compassionate when it is free from its traps, it naturally begins to manifest that into the conditioned world out of compassion, as the Buddha did, out of sympathy. So being with that, but no longer embedded in it, because this is what has been learned, and this is what has been released.
So I'll offer that for your consideration this evening. Thank you for your attention.